Father, we give you thanks for your word that it is a light unto our paths. It gives us discernment. It gives us clarity on what right and wrong is. And we know that it is your will that we have a handle on these things, that we might do your will, that which is right. And it helps us to discern the evil in the world. We pray, Lord, that you would clear up our spiritual glasses, that we'd be able to see what is going on in the world in which we live and how so much of it is of the spirit of Antichrist. And we desire to be of those who are of the spirit of Christ. Please make this effect, this change in us, we pray as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off in first on chapter 4 and verse 4, but I'm just going to pick it up in verse 1 again. Dear friends... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I talked to you last time about each one of us has a particular gift. One of the places that these gifts are mentioned is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. And it talks about those who have maybe the message of wisdom, another message of knowledge by the same spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us to these gifts. Another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguished between spirits or that's the gift of discernment to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another interpretation of tongues. And all of these gifts are given to the church. There's another gift, the gift of administration. There's a gift of pastor teacher. There's a gift of evangelism. Uh, There's the gift of the apostle, being an apostle. And so all of these things are given to those who believe on the time in which they believe. So if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have at least one gift. Now, if you don't know what your gift is, it's because you're not trying to exercise the gift. If you exercise the gift and you, you actually find out what it is by exercising it, when that takes place... You become filled with joy as you're doing what you love. Hopefully you're not employed in a position in the secular world where you do something you hate. Now, I've heard that before. I hate my job. Fortunately, I love my job that I do outside the church, and I love the job that I do inside the church. God has equipped me, and I found that, and I get to fulfill that. If you have not found what gift you have inside the church, you can have a mediocre walk you can always be wandering around. Like, for instance, if you have the gift of helps. The gift of helps is you just want to help somebody. And that's what it is. You you come along and you see somebody doing something. You go, I want to help with that. And you become thrilled just by being able to help, no matter what it is. If it's picking up trash around the church, if it's taking it down the canopies that we're going to take down this Sunday after church, you go, I want to do that, that, and it kind of thrills you. But if you have the gift of helps, and I come up to you and I say, I want you to deliver a message on Sunday morning. I want you to stand right up here and give a message. You're just going to go... No, I don't think so, because a person with the gift of help just likes to help and be kind of in, in obscurity. That's what they do. Now, if you find your gift, that is the best. It is the best of both worlds. The Spirit fills you in order to enable you in your gift. Uh, one of the other gifts, it's mentioned in, I believe, Exodus chapter 35. It's the gift of craftsmanship. And there are people with the gift of craftsmanship that work with their hands. And when they do work with their hands, they... 
I can't get enough tools. I want more tools so I can build more things. And I've seen people, I've gone to their houses and stuff. This one guy has every single hand tool under the sun, every single power tool. And he builds furniture and he just loves it. And that's what he does. And in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 35, again, I think it's 35, these men were gifted for building the temple of God, or building the, not the temple, but the, the uh, tabernacle of God. They were gifted, and God filled them with his spirit in order to do that. So God has a particular task for you. You just have to find out what that task is. Now, again, one of those tasks is the discerning of spirits. You're able to tell who is of Christ and who is of the Antichrist. Now, this is verse 2 that we're in. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So again, this is the first indication that somebody is of the spirit of Antichrist. They deny, they do not acknowledge that Jesus has come in physical form. Now, the reason John is writing this is because there was this group of individuals called the Gnostics right around the time of Christ, and they found out about Christ, and they said, well, Christ could not be real. He could not be physical. It only appeared that he was physical because everything that is physical is evil, and we know even Scripture says everything in this life will cease to exist. It has to be burned up. It has to be destroyed, including our own bodies. We don't get this body when we go to heaven. We get a new body. So God's going to destroy everything. Therefore, the Gnostics said, Jesus could not have been physical. He could not have been God incarnate in human form. And that was the first heresy in the church that was making the rounds. And so John responds to this. He said, if you do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh then you are of the spirit of Antichrist. So he was directly rebuking and confronting this idea that Jesus was not a physical human being. Now, secondly, this person who is of the spirit of Antichrist, a false teacher, a a false prophet, verse 5 says, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. That means they will have a message that appeals to the flesh. They will have a message that says to you something along the line, if you just bring your $1,000 check up here and you lay it on the stage, we'll call that seed money. And God will bless you 30, 60, or 100 times if you just sow and be faithful in sowing. And do not let your right hand know what your left hand does. Now, we're not going to do that. Don't take out your checkbook. But that's what they do. And they appeal to the flesh. And you start thinking... If I give, then I get back, right? And that's completely of the spirit of Antichrist. When you give, you're not supposed to expect anything back. But in the world, don't we expect something back? Well, if I give you this, you know, I'm going to, what do I get for it? And the focus is on eye. A person has an eye disease. And so they speak like the world. That is a sign that somebody is of the spirit of Antichrist or is a false prophet or a false teacher. Also, Along this idea of money, actually, I want you to turn here. First Timothy chapter six, just grab a Bible. If you don't have one, grab one in front of you and turn to first Timothy chapter six. I want you to read this for yourself. (coughs) Excuse me. 
And this is talking about those who are of the spirit of Antichrist, the false teachers, the false prophets who would be out there. It reads in verse 3 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So that means if you have a pastor who is always talking about money, how much you have to give. If there are two or three offerings that are required in a particular service, for instance, January is uh, sometimes stewardship month. Have you ever heard that? If you've been around churches for a while, (coughs) excuse me, you will hear these messages. All month, we're going to talk about giving and our responsibility. And they hand out pledge cards that you pledge to give this. After all, you want to be a good business and a good steward, you know, of the Lord's business. And, and so you want to know how much is going to come in. And if people don't give in some organizations, they will actually call you up, say, you're a little behind in your pledge here. You need to maybe make up a little bit of time. Can you do that? Can we expect a check from you this week? And, you know, they'll, they'll just ask you for all kinds of money. Now here, when it, it comes to false prophets, And money and all of that, you know the practice that we have here as far as money, if you've been here any length of time. When money comes up in Scripture, I nail it. I don't let anybody off the hook. It's our responsibility, right? But I do it when it's in Scripture. I don't need to bring it up any other time. It's your responsibility. You take care of it. You let the guilt fall on you. I don't have to put guilt on you. The Holy Spirit can do that all by himself. But these false prophets will hound you. They will make you feel guilty. They'll give you some type of uh, reward for giving your money. Now, a lot of you have heard this, right? That they'll give you something, like the televangelist, they'll give you something if you write a check. And they'll say, for instance, I have this handkerchief. We went over to the Holy Land. We blessed it over there in the Holy Land. And we've brought back all these handkerchiefs from the Holy Land. And if you just send in your check of $60 right now without delay, because these are going to go fast. If you just give us your money, we will send you one of these blessed handkerchiefs from the Holy Land. And you know what you can do with that? Like Paul the Apostle, you know, clothing and articles and articles of clothing or something like a handkerchief that he would have had. You just lay it on the people. And Jesus, after all, his cloak, you know, the woman just touched it and she was healed with the issue of blood. We can do that too if you just send your check. And so I want you guys to be aware of that. If somebody is hounding you for money, that's a bad sign. And there are a lot of televangelists doing that, people on television. They just want to have your money, and that's all they're after, and they want to have those jets and everything else. So this idea that being godly, it's a means to financial gain. Those who are in the church are not to seek to become rich. Let me say that again. Those who are in the church are not to seek to become rich off of the church, okay? Now, going on with these false prophets, they reject sound doctrine or the spirit of Antichrist. Verse 6, back in 1 John chapter 4, 
says, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now, this is what is known as the apostles doctrine. There are certain doctrines that we hold to in the Christian faith. If people reject those doctrines as a church, we're to reject them. For instance, one of the doctrines is the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God who became man, came from heaven down to earth and took on this human form. He also died. He was buried in the tomb. He rose on the third day and ascended back to the Father. That is what is known as a cardinal doctrine, an essential and orthodox uh, teaching of the Christian church. If somebody rejects that, they are to be rejected. They are not to maintain fellowship inside of an orthodox teaching church. I'm not talking about the orthodox church. Orthodox just simply means right. So that would be one of the doctrines. Another doctrine is he was born of a virgin, a woman who never knew a man, conceived and gave birth to another human being. That is a cardinal doctrine. That is a doctrine that is unchanging. That is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. The fact that there will be a judgment to come. For instance, the way that we live our lives right here, we're going to be judged. Paul calls, calls it, we're in a race, right? Now, most of us at one particular time did a little bit of running. If you're in high school, I don't know how much they do it now, but it used to be a class. You had to take a class where you learn athletics, where you played basketball, where you played volleyball. I can remember in fifth grade with Mrs. Kelch, one of the greatest things that we did was square dancing because we got to dance with girls. You know, we would go to the auditorium and we would dance and we'd be in our gym clothes and be like, woohoo, this is just like great. That's terrible for a boy in fifth grade to do that. But it was just a great thing. And then you'd go and you'd play flag football or you would wrestle. You would do all these different sports and it was required. Now it's not so much required. And now it's not even required that you take a shower afterwards, right? Whew, I hate to be in uh, the class right after that, but all of these things used to be required. And we are in a race and you would be judged and you would have relay races. Remember For those of you who were in school and they would have a track out there and they'd give you a baton and you'd have to pass that baton off and you'd have to run around and (laughs) you would see who would win and they'd give you ribbons. I can remember back in um, sixth grade, John Fitzgerald Kennedy had started uh, the President's Award, President's Fitness And all the students had to go out for an hour and they had to see how many sit-ups and push-ups and pull-ups and jumping jacks they could do. And you were given awards. You were judged according to what you did. The same thing is with our lives. God is going to look at our lives. And by the way, all of us are going to be resurrected. We're all going to die unless the rapture happens. We're all going to die We're going to be buried or we're going to be cremated. And then God's going to reconstitute that body and he's going to bring it before himself. And we're going to be in it. And we're going to look at him and he's going to look at us. And he's going to say, what did you do? We have to give an account to God for anything that he did for us. And if we did things according to his word that were wrong... Another way to say it is sin. Thank you. Yes, could you go ahead and... (laughs) 
I'm waiting. A little more power. There. Okay. <laughs> it's one of those gifts of the Spirit. You know, just like that. Okay, so this idea that we're running a race, we're going to be judged for it, and we're going to stand before Jesus Christ, and when that happens, he's going to either reward us, believers get rewarded at the Bema seat, unbelievers get rewarded at the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, most, well, everyone that's not saved is going to be judged there. Those people who get judged there are thrown into the lake of fire. Only two places. Now, you've heard me say this a million times, but I want to make sure you guys have this down so pat that you won't have to even fumble or stumble over your words when you're talking to somebody about this. So we have to give an account. God, who created us, is going to bring us back to himself and say, what did you do? And he's either going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. Now, remember, the way that you keep from appearing before the great white throne judgment is you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you do, you are saved. That's all God requires for you to be saved is believe that he is able to save you. So these false prophets, false teachers, the spirit of Antichrist does not put up with solid doctrine. People of the world will say, I believe that when we die, that's it. Game over, we cease to exist. Doesn't happen that way. We are conscious after death. Okay? Just keep that in mind. And somebody of the world will say, well, that's what I choose to believe. Well, you may choose to believe that, but you're making it up. We know that God came to us and told us exactly what is going to happen. He told us about creation. He told us about life. He told us about morality. He gave meaning and purpose. And he told us where we are going to go. It's just if you listen and accept it, you don't have to accept it. Have you heard, you know, people, they make up just the strangest stories. And they have late night radio about these weird things that are out there and crop circles and you know there are contrails up there and they're poisoning us and aliens and greys and all of these different things and people talk like they know what they're talking about and they're making stuff up don't make up things about god don't make god in your image do you know that god prescribes for instance when we sing on sunday morning god prescribes how we are to worship you know that he says this is how you're supposed to do it if you turn to psalm 145 psalm 146 psalm 147 if you just read through those you will see that the psalmist is just saying praise god praise him in the heavens praise him in the seashore praise him with the symbols praise him with the lyre all of this stuff he's saying this is how you are to praise god and when the jews worshiped they worshipped. They weren't like mushrooms. You know what a mushroom does, right? It just sits there. It just, that, that's it. Don't do that if you're going to worship God. God says, open your mouth and praise him. Praise him with your lips. So he, he prescribes this, these kinds of things. So we don't want to make up how we're supposed to worship God, what we're supposed to do in our relationship with God. We look at the word and see what that says. Now also, these false prophets or the spirit of antichrist they would like to argue they're argumentative that's the fourth point um i was talking to uh 
Karen. Where are you, Karen? She's helping out? She's helping out. I was talking to Karen. She goes, Pastor Bill, I have a question. This person was talking to me about God, and they had all these other questions why they don't believe in God and all these other proofs. And I said, you know, Karen, you need to just go to the heart of the matter. You need to stop all that because they're making excuses of why they don't want to accept Christ, why they don't want to believe that God is able to save them. And you can do that too. When somebody wants to argue about, well, what about the people in South America that have never heard the gospel? Or what about the people on, yeah, I don't know if you saw the news, there's people on this one island, I think it's over in Indonesia somewhere. If you get on the island, they'll kill you. They're so primitive. They haven't met modern human beings yet. And they throw spears and they kill people that show up. But what about those people? Is God able to reach them? Well, yeah, God's able to reach them, but it sounds like you're making an excuse why you don't want to believe because you think God hasn't reached them. God has clearly spoken to all of us. He has told us that there is sin, there is judgment for sin, and we need to receive the forgiveness that he offers. And so if somebody wants to be argumentative about that stuff, just cut to the chase. Just say, look, sounds like you're making an excuse why you don't want to be saved. Do you want to be saved or not? And that's how you proceed. And so the person that is of the spirit of Antichrist is simply going to be argumentative. Fifthly, those of the spirit of Antichrist, those who are false teachers, those who are false prophets, they seek notoriety. They are ostentatious. They wear the best suits. They have the biggest stages. They spend lots of money on the fanfare and the props and all of that. Instead of just delivering to you the simple gospel, that's what those who are of the spirit of Antichrist will do. Now, you might say, wait a second, Pastor Bill, there are big churches, and they have big productions, and all of that. Yeah, there are, and God will judge whether or not that person is a believer or not a believer, the spirit of Antichrist or the spirit of Christ. And Paul said, you know, if they think that they're just causing, Paul, when he was speaking, causing him harm by speaking out, if they were speaking and trying to get money, Paul really didn't care. He said, the gospel is still going out. And so we'll let God judge that. But we know that the person that is a false teacher, a false prophet, that type of thing, they seek to have this first place. In Luke chapter 20, verse 46, it says, Beware of teachers of the law. And this is in the Old Testament dispensation, so to speak. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses, in other words, they're greedy, and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. And so if we're making this show, we are to be warned that we're not supposed to do that. And also, the sixth point of these false teachers and the spirit of Antichrist and all of this that is in the world is these individuals are divisive or divisive and they are controlling. This one guy by the name of Diotrephes, and we'll get to him in 3 John verse 9. It reads there, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. In other words, there are going to be false prophets, false teachers who will desire to control your life. Whatever you do, they, they will come to you like if you take a vacation. They will say, should you really take that vacation? Shouldn't you be at the church here? Shouldn't you be serving those people and sacrificing? I say hogwash. 
take a vacation. If you want a vacation, take a vacation. Oh, you should be at the prayer meeting. No, if you want to be at the prayer meeting, go to the prayer meeting. You should be at Bible study. Well, if you want to be at Bible study, go to Bible study. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, should you do all those things? Absolutely. But if somebody comes along and says, oh, you better feel a little guilt now because you're not following through with what is good behavior as a believer. You need to be completely sold out. And if you start speaking maliciously against somebody, uh, I recently talked to an individual who's down in Mexico and they were blessed and sent out to another church. Well, another church is taking all the congregants, not that they're taking them. They're just showing up. And so it's causing some problems in the mother church that all these people are showing up to the secondary church that was birthed. And so the pastor in the first church, he started telling everybody, this is where you belong. You shouldn't be going anywhere else. Look, if you want to go somewhere else, go. You don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus Christ. If you're getting fed here, good. Sink those roots deep. If you get offended, well, I'm sorry, it's going to happen. You're going to get offended. Are you going to get in an argument with somebody? If you're here long enough, you're going to have an argument with somebody. That's just the way things work. Are you going to be upset because somebody says something or does something? Yes, you are. Your feelings going to get hurt? Yes, they are. Why? Because you're with a bunch of sinners. There's a bunch of sinners. Look to the left and look to the right. Say, sinner. You guys understand that? We're just a bunch of sinners, but we have Christ in common. And so if you're being built up in the faith, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, then plant. This is where God would have you. If you're not growing here, well, okay. Go to, you don't have to go now. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it's this idea that if you're growing, then grow. Don't truncate yourself. Don't resist what God wants to do. Say yes to every opportunity that comes before you. If you do that, you'll be operating in your gift and you'll be blessed. That's what God has in store for us. Now, going on with this. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone that loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. Now, this is a song we used to sing in church. Back in 1925, when I started attending first time, this, this was a song. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, that's the ladies' part. Let's try it again. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another. <laughs> For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not... Knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7, and 8. And that was the song we had sang, just like the songs we sing as you come in. And these scripture songs are great. For instance, there's one, there are six things that the Lord does hate. Yes, there are seven that are detestable. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill, and a heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. And if you put those to song... They're very easy to remember. And so that's, that's one of the things that you want to use when you go to Scripture. And this is something you can hold on to if you want to know how you're supposed to act. Beloved, let us love one another. 
love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now, that's 1611 King James. In the NIV, it's going to be a little bit different. But that's what we're supposed to do. Now, this idea of love, I told you before, it appears several times, 35 times, I believe, in the book of 1 John. And John, his emphasis is, in fact, on love. Now, this idea of love, I need to cover this, too, for those of you who don't know. There are different kinds of love. There's this storge love, like a familial love. There's a Philadelphia or phileo type of love. That's a brotherly love, like brothers, you know, like you're in a army unit. You're a band of brothers, that type of thing. You have this friendship love where you'll, you'll die for each other, and it's real close-knit. There's the Eros type of love, which is a sexual love. And then there's the agape love. The agape love is where you will do whatever you can for somebody else in spite of what happens to you. And Christ demonstrated that in giving his life for us. That's how we know what love is, that Christ died for us. And so the word that is being used mostly here is this agape love. It is a self-sacrificing love. It is a love that a young mother has for a brand new baby. That mother, it would be like a, a mother bear with her bear cubs. She will kill you before she lets you harm her baby, right? Even a human mother, same thing. She will sacrifice her own self for the sake of that small baby. And that's agape love. And that's how God looks at us. He died for us so that we might have eternal life or the chance to receive it. Now, going on in verse 9, it tells us this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So we are never to be the definition of love ourselves because we are really not loving. Even if you're married to somebody, uh, most of the time you can be on good behavior. But every once in a while, it's like you have that little closet. And I'm not going to get into demonology and all of that, that you have this demon that comes out this little closet, but you have this in within you to be just as mean and vile and wicked with your tongue. You can say things that just pierce, right? For instance, uh, if a woman turned to her husband and said, you are so weak and pathetic. Oh. That's like taking out a sword and stabbing right through the heart of the man. Now, if a man came to the woman and said, you were so ugly, you're right. It would just be like taking a sword and stabbing it in there, right? These things ought not to be said between us. Even though you have the freedom to say them, you can destroy with your tongue. And we're not supposed to do that, but we have the capacity. Have you ever thought it and not said it? Oh, <laughs> yes, I confess everything. Yeah, you, you have had these thoughts in your mind, and it's good that it stays behind the gate of the teeth, the line of the tongue, and you don't say those things. But God tells us what's in our heart. We are not the definition of love. We are the de definition of fallenness and wickedness. And it is God is the one who comes along and shows us, not just tells us, but shows us 
this is love and his example is what we're supposed to follow so our motivation for love is to be god and his demonstration to us now going on verse 12 says no one has ever seen god but if we love one another god lives in us and his love is made complete in us now we have a dilemma did you hear what i just said no one has ever seen god but if we love one another god lives in us and this love is made complete in us no one has ever seen god ever wondered about that is jesus christ god yep. have people seen jesus christ yep. did it just say no one has ever seen god yep. now wait can they both be true they can be true. Would you like to know how? Now, ah, let's move on. <laughs> no. Of course, no one has ever seen God. Now, when Jesus, he is God incarnate. But God in all of his glory, the Father, no one has ever seen God. Some people have this misconception of what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. People think that you're going to see Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. Because the Father's right there. Then you got Jesus in the middle. Then you have the Holy Spirit on the other side. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that's not the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, we're going to see one person, which is Jesus Christ. Now, will we hear the Father? I think we will. Just because when Jesus was here, especially when he got baptized as my beloved son and who I'm well pleased, listen to him. The father spoke at that particular time. In Acts chapter 5, the spirit speaks. Separate from me Paul and Barnabas for the work which I have called them to. And so all three persons of the Godhead speak, but God the father does not have a body. We like to think of him in terms of a body. That's so we can kind of assimilate in our minds kind of who he is, but he has no body. And he is everywhere. And no one has ever seen God. But he lives in us, and that's how we know he exists. Not only from that testimony, the spirit that lives in us, but also from the word. That's how we know that there is God the Father. Same thing with the spirit of God. No one has ever seen the spirit of God, nor will anyone ever see the spirit of God, I don't believe. Because the spirit is spirit. Like, we can see our physical bodies. We can see the person, but you can't see the soul of the individual, right? And some people say, I've seen into your soul. No, I'm sorry. You haven't seen into the soul. If you've seen anything, you've seen wickedness that's in there. And God says, I'm going to bless that and turn that around and make it all new and give you a spirit in which you can live your life. And you can live your life in a way that is pleasing to God. But no one has ever seen God the Father, nor do I believe that and I could be wrong in this, but I don't think anybody's ever going to see God the Father. How big is God? He is everywhere. He is all through this universe. He is beyond the universe. He is everything, all in all. That's who he is. So we have seen Jesus Christ, and that's why Jesus became a man. So we could get some kind of idea of who God the Father is. That's why the second person of the Trinity became incarnate. Now, verse 13 we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Now, that is something else that we have to pay attention to as well. God's spirit, when in, uh, what is it, John chapter 20 or 21, 
when Jesus showed up after the resurrection to his disciples, he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit, receive ye the spirit in the King James. And he blew on them. He actually went, he blew on them and they received God's spirit indwelling inside of them. After that came Pentecost. Pentecost was later. But at this particular point, he gave the Holy Spirit to the individuals. If you are saved, you have the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient Spirit of God living in you. And you might say, where? I don't see him anywhere. You know, he is in there and he is what provides for you life. That is a promise. And he says, I will never take my spirit from you as well. The spirit is the deposit guaranteeing the things that are to come. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you believe, you have God's spirit living inside of you. If you don't believe, you're captive to the flesh and you can only do what the flesh desires. You cannot be pleasing to God because you have no power to live for God. Therefore, those who don't have the Spirit of God are condemned. Going on, verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. So again, here he's going against the teaching of the Gnostics that says that Jesus really never came in a human form, that all human forms are evil. Therefore, Jesus could not have been human verse 16 and so we know and rely on the love god has for us god is love whoever lives in love lives in god and god in him so he is the one that sustains us we know his voice now have maybe you have heard god's voice audibly maybe you thought you've heard god's voice audibly god speaks through his word when you read his word you personalize it and you say that's me he's talking about me you don't want to read it and say well i know who that is and you point to somebody else say they need to change their life they need to you know get on the stick and get with the program here that's not what the word is for god will speak to us as we read his word also the spirit of god will speak to us too now how does that happen exactly have you ever felt compelled to pray for somebody i mean you could be in the desert and you remember somebody back here and you go wow i think god wants me to pray for that person that's god's spirit and you hear his voice it's not that you actually hear it and again you're turning to the right going what it's not like that you just know that's how god works with us he lets us understand what his will is and if he wants you to pray if he wants you to go somewhere he can speak clearly it's just we don't always hear clearly verse 17 in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love for those who are not saved for those who haven't accepted christ who haven't asked for forgiveness, there's fear of death. If you can be in a room with somebody who dies, and if that person who dies is a believer, there's no problem with death. Not that you're not going to mourn or be sorrowful. But if you see somebody die and you were not saved, there is this fear what is going to take place? What is going to happen after I die? Isn't that the consummate question that everybody has? Because we all die, right? 
but nobody talks about death. Right here, God's telling us through the Apostle John that people who do not have Christ do not want to talk about death. They don't want to deal with it because for them it is an unknown. For us, it is life. When we die, we get a new body. We get glorification that Jesus Christ puts his spirit in us. We will shine like the stars in heaven. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more mourning. So for us, there is no fear of death. That's why, especially people in the military who know Christ, they can fight so much more vigorously because even if their body is taken, they are glorified on top of that. And if they're laying down their lives for the people back in the United States because they're fighting somebody like ISIS, they know what they're doing. The person who is in the military that has no concept of God, that doesn't believe in God, I fear for them that they might die without God. If they die without God, there's only remaining a fearful judgment. And people know this. People know this. God has told us, and the ones who refuse to admit it, they just simply deny the truth. And that's, that's the whole reason why we get together for church. We encourage each other. Don't worry. Life is going to be tough. We're going to get sick. We're going to die. If we're not going to get sick and die at the particular moment in time that we're existing, we're going to have troubles. We're going to have financial troubles. We're going to have relational troubles. And God says, don't worry. All of this is going to end. But make sure you don't leave this earth without accepting the gift, the gift of eternity. And so that's what he's telling us here is the world fears what is to come where we look forward to it while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Of course, he's giving us the definition and the credit who it goes to as far as love is concerned. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. That is strong. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you think that they had a problem in the New Testament church loving each other? How many times has he said it here in First John? Over and over he's been, been saying, love your brother. And what does he mean by love? Agape your brother. What does it mean by agape your brother? It means your brother's going to offend you. Your brother's going to hurt you. Your brother's going to speak evil about you. And what are you supposed to do? Love your brother. Well, what does that mean? How come I'm not being justified in this? How come everybody's taking their side? Love your brother. Are we not to love our enemies? Yes, we are. Oh, it makes the flesh just writhe in pain, doesn't it? Well, they so wronged me. You have no idea what they've done to me. How they've spoken. I cannot. God's just going to have to work it out. And God comes to us and says, love your brother. No, I won't. You know what they need to make? They need to make a doormat with two feet imprints on it. So you can stand on it and throw a tantrum. Like that. I don't want. I won't do it. I won't do it. And God says, love your brother. So no matter how much you're offended, no matter how much people take advantage of you, you know, I will tell you this secret. One thing that gets me more upset, there's one thing that just makes me so mad that I just, I, I want to lose it. And I have to do everything within me. 
control myself. Because I, I could easily just go ballistic. And you're saying, what is that? When somebody denies you ice cream? No, that's not it. it, it it's when somebody takes advantage of me money-wise. If I feel I have been ripped off, if I feel somebody has taken advantage of me, the few times in my life that that has happened, I just about lose it. And Patty can testify to this. It's happened. You know, so <clears throat> when, when that takes place, the thing that rings through my head that I try to squash is love your brother. Because it's not just my physical brother. A brother is anyone. It's like, who's your neighbor? Anyone is your neighbor. And so for you, if there's somebody who has caused you harm, if there's somebody that you just can't love, if there's somebody that you can't continue to die for, God is calling you, just as he would call me, to love them, to not hold things against them, to try to make it right if it's possible. Because God is a definition of love. If he can lay down his life, you can lay down your attitude. And that's what he calls us to do. And if you do that, you will be called children of God. You will have the evidence that God loves you and you love God and he lives in you and you live in him. And that is the goal of 1 John. John wants us to love each other because in this life, if we don't have the love, there is no hope. And we want to provide hope for those who are out there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to show love. We ask that you would help us to crucify our flesh daily in order to extend it to others. Help us not to hold grudges. Help us not to make rash decisions based on the flesh, but only proper decisions, righteous decisions, godly decisions based on the spirit that you have given to us. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us in this endeavor so that we can be a witness to the world who is lost and dying. And we ask that you would use us even in this upcoming week and as VBS approaches. Father, I want to pray a special blessing on the children that will be here, that they will be open and receptive to your word, that they will receive the gift of salvation, and they will be ushered into the kingdom, and that you might use them in a mighty way to influence the next generation to come and help us to be faithful in this generation to do your will and keep your commands. In Jesus' name, amen.